Every word has power. Every word has power. And the power of every word is that every word has its own precise meaning. If you mean this and you use that word to mean this, then see, you're not, something's not synchronizing. <laughs> because every word has its own meaning. Because every word comes from somewhere. It's in here. What it, it's, it comes from the feeling somewhere in this process, the feeling, the thought, seeing the feeling. That's how the being speaks to the humans through feelings. And how the human handles how the feelings are. The human uses emotions to suppress the feelings or manipulate the feelings. But anyway, every word that comes out, at some point it's coming from all of our centers. And we're turning it into sound and we're tossing it into the, the world of vibration. The vibratory world, the vibration of sound. It's like throwing a pebble in it pond. Something happens. Now believe is a word that I have a serious problem with, right? Because it's got a lie in the middle. B-E-L-I-E-V-E. -E -E. So it makes me look at this word very, very carefully. See, I come from people who have beliefs, so I respect that. But <laughs> You know, it kind of drives me a little bit nutty. Just kind of just generally in the conversation that floats around in the society that we're in, how many times I hear I believe. <laughs> it does. It's, oh, man. See, and I, I don't mean any offense to anyone, see, but I'd, I'd be breathing a whole lot better if everybody was saying, I think. <laughs> you know? I'd breathe a whole lot better. Because sometimes believe, number one, it's a passive word. It's not active. It's a passive word. It means we're not thinking. Because I think, again, when one looks at the mining process, when is it in our belief process, all right, that we stop thinking? You know, when is it that, well, I believe this, so I no longer really think about it? Or I pretend to think about it, but in my pretend thinking, what I'm really doing is I'm, I'm pretend thinking about it within the, the definitions and limitations of my belief. I'm not going outside and looking at this thing. I'm thinking about it within the limitations of my belief. See, in everything that was ever done to us, in our collective genetic ancestry, everything that was ever done to us was to make us believe them. <laughs> everything. To believe the way they wanted us to believe. Because that's the most intricate part of the mining thing, to get us to believe. Because if we don't believe them, they can't mine us. So they put every kind of confusion and clarity out there for us to believe. But it all emanates from them. And the way it all emanates from them is that we really have no value without them. But yet, I come from people who have beliefs. And I, and I, I respect those beliefs because I'm, you know, I'm a product of those beliefs. But I'm saying we need to understand how we use the word when we use the word. And thinking, the gift of intelligence... We think our own misery and insecurity every damn day, and every one of us has a form of it, and I know that we do because it got us all. So when we're thinking like that, you know, and we're believing a lot of stuff that's negative about us and that is completely negative to reality, and we're being fed upon by our beliefs, it is in our best interest. Whatever our creator is that we say we respect and we pray to, it is in our best interest to respect the gift that that creator gave us, which is our lives, and it means that we use our intelligence to think a little more clearly, then that's what we need to do. Because about the thinking part, see, we can't stop. 
we never stop. Even when we sleep, we dream. We just don't, either we remember it or we don't, but it's always going. It's just sometimes we're turned off to the process. See, so this, there's so much power in there. Because everything that happened to us happened to alter our perceptional reality. And that's the basis of what happens today. So anyway, what ended up happening here, as it manifested itself, I live now in this century, whatever time frame we're in now, right? We're in it. And I look around and I see that I live in a society where the people feel powerless. They're angry, they're pissed off, they're frustrated, you know. There are a lot of things, but they feel powerless. And you can see it. You can see it in a calm collective psyche because they allow, they allow the lie. They just accept the lie, <laughs> right? Vote and it'll get better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? And see, what I'm saying, so, and I'm not trying to overthrow anything, but I want to say this about democracy. You know, I, there's a timeline here, and I'm, I don't know where I'm at on it, so I might be getting short. But I want to say this about democracy, and I want to say this about freedom. It's not about freedom. Right? And I be care, I, me, personally, I'm very careful of people and how they use the word freedom, because, you know, sometimes we use it, we're habitual users. <laughs> you know? And a word like freedom, see, because to me, the, the lie that I see in freedom is if, if I believe in my freedom, that means I make the rules. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chris Skyhawk, and you're here with the Universal Perspectives. Thank you for being with me here tonight. As you, some of you regular listeners might know, I've been doing a series, Surviving Late Stage Capitalism, What's Next? And I have very, I'm very excited about my guest tonight, Tikasin Goshorse. He's a member of the Cheyenne River Lakota tribe. And we're going to talk about language and also how indigenous knowledge might help us to rebuild a society post-capitalism. Post so I think we have our guests online, do we, yes? Good, e good afternoon, evening, Mr. Ghosthorse. Hey, how are you? Very good. Thank you for being with us tonight. I know it's getting very late on the East Coast where you are. Yeah, well, it is. It is like tennis or something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I would like you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. What would you like people here at Mendocino County to know about you? <clears throat> well, yeah, I'm not from a tribe. Um, um, <clears throat> I come from the Yellowhawk Tiashpaye from Cheyenne River Lakota Reservation. And um, I have a very big Oshpaye, I call it. And I belong to the Oyate of the Minikoju. Um, Itazip Chola, one of the seven bands of the Lakota, and that family goes back beyond, <clears throat> we can't even count the generations, so let's just say we were here from the time before time was invented. So I'm here and, um, in, in the East Coast, and like you, I've hosted radio for the last 30 years, um, and yeah, I've I've just been into the to the media part of, of trying to get the word across for Native peoples all over the world, not just, quote-unquote, Native Americans, because it's, it's about Indigenous peoples all over the world, and that's what I do. But the message has always been bigger than I ever will be. So I would like to introduce them first, and then my, my name is Teokasin Ghost Horse. Uh, yes, and um, just keep it right there. Just 
a plain person, a plain human being. Yeah. Okay. Also, you are a member of the Center for Humans and Nature. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm not with the Center of Humans and Nature. I think that was part of a book series and an article I wrote a few years ago about water. Um, if anything, my bi biography, I think I sent it to you, but it's, again, it's not what I did it, or what I'm going to do. It's really about what's happening now and what I'm thinking, not what I know or information that you can get from me. It's more like, hey, let's, let's pay attention to now um, and, and stay with that. And, and I think that that's a good energy to be here in the present moment all the time. Well, thank you very much. I, um, I'm not quite sure how I came across you. I saw one of your YouTube talks. I was really struck you were talking about language. And I've really been thinking about language. Uh, I think I told you, many people here in this county know I'm a survivor of a near-fatal stroke almost four and a half years ago now. And as I rebuild from the stroke, I've always, I've always remembered the English language, but at first I couldn't make the sounds very well. It really, I had been slowing down, really made me think, what, what do words mean? And I've really been connecting it to how can we connect our words to the spirit of things? I was really struck by your, your talk about that. And I think one of the things you said in the talk I saw was in the closer language, there's almost no nouns, they're mostly verbs. Yes, that's, that's true. Um, I'd like to thank you for the strength for being here and getting through. You're still needed here. I'd like to say that and thank you for inviting me to your program. Um, and that's good. It's an honor to be here. I like that. I'd say, uh, I shake your hands with a good heart. And um, thank you for the inclusion. And may this go out to do good things and help change people's hearts because certainly we haven't changed we won't change people's minds um we do that we kind of remove ourselves from the, the center of who we are so i'll say that but <clears throat> i'll just go with what i think happened with language and as you being a, a stroke survivor you probably are more attuned to life and how precious that is in you want to maybe use the right energy properly in a good way that the language that we use now between us is uh, basically, to me, and this, these are my words, okay? And I think of part of that is is understanding um, the experience I've had in, in this lifetime and how much that separation begins with a concept and a word that doesn't exist within many, I say this, intuitive languages and one of them is Lakota. I have an 88, soon to be 89 year old mother who says that she cannot speak Lakota without intuition. And so I think wow. about that and the word, and that word that, that separates us is, is this concept and, and noun that we do not have in Lakota, which is domination. And I say that because in, <clears throat> When, when you're in a relationship with all things other than just human humans, then you need to 
feel the other languages being spoken throughout the universe, in this case, the reality of we are here on Earth. So when we're in the, the feeling, the energy of Earth, what language would you, speak, would you speak? Would you speak a noun language or a verb relative language? Because those trees, those that fish, the ocean, all of these things, as far as I'm concerned, are viewed as beings. They have energy, they have consciousness. And domination pulls you into a conscience of right and wrong, superior, inferior, beginning and ending. Um, and so domination is at the crux of anthropocentrism, uh, anthropocentrism's self-importance to the rational mind, um, always wanting to be supreme to all the beings of consciousness, and we somewhat relegate self into an isolated mindset species of the human race. So there comes racism and people of color and all these things that fit that domination. <clears throat> I'm glad you played Uncle's... Um, a spoken word piece before we began, I was listening to it and reminded like, yes, I learned a lot from this man and it was good for that time, it's good for now. Now it's up to those of us sort of wordsmithing and coming from the more traditional side, which I'm really far away from, um, but I grew up this way on the reservation back home <clears throat> and speaking to older people who were born in the 1800s grandfathers and grandmothers and, and remember the remembering as a little boy in the 60s and 70s you you know that these old peoples were in their 90s and hundreds and so they were born like in you know right after the 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 um, little bighorn in that era of of the 1870s and in 80s so you know this and mm -hmm. i understand you know, from that viewpoint, this vernacular of what indigeneity means to me is that yeah, from that point on, our relationship to languages, um, intuitive valued languages and senses, and living in a balancing with Earth is also a detriment to that very rational mind of, of, of domination and its manipulation which is measuring and weighing and possessing and objectifying and subjecting uh, to, to false authority. And yes. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, as, as we, we know, the, the crux, the focus of this show is what will happen after capitalism collapses. It seems to me that capitalism, the crux of it, is, is the very foundation of it is separation. Like we can log all the forests because those trees aren't alive, or we can dig up the earth for minerals because the earth's not alive. Everything is separation in that language. Yes, it's when when I am frequently uh, should people want me to explain myself? I think, wow, okay. So I'm first of all I'm speaking the language of separation, and people don't want me to say that. So if I am very direct. People would say, well, you're angry. But no, we're direct. We, we need, Earth doesn't lie. So this is the languages that indigenous people speak. I, I, I feel that. Um, so the separation comes along when we say things like the Earth rather than just Earth. 
So we, we have a language of distancing ourselves from life. So it's the earth, which is separation, when we say the. And when I come back to, okay, capitalism is also teaching us to be selfishly individualistic, like climbing the ladder and all this. But capitalism, it, it's not a, how am I saying it? It's not coming from earth. It's coming from the minds of domination. And so if we say late stages, well, it was already, before you begin say, to say late, it was already on its way out because it's basically a resource-based uh, system. And when we lose that um, elemental consciousness, we begin to disrespect everything. And so from that disrespect, then you're taught to stand in line and go to war and hammer everything into a rational belt, a rational box that builds itself on hierarchy and dogma and elitism and class and race and all those things and all these isms and accompany this rationed package. I give it more levity than the indigeneity in all of us in this relational context. Now, what I'm saying is that there is not any more languages um, in domination that relate to the earth because if you see the political um, structure it's just recently on uh, the State of the Union address, who is mentioning earth? Everybody's arguing over fashion and you know who's Democrat. It's always a, a duality going on and in, in a sense that capitalism wants to hide the fact that it's it's doing this to earth. Any system that is extracting from earth is exactly colonization. And so it's in that way it's involving the systematic belittlement and it, in this case attempted elimination of indigenous peoples or knowledge and the way we have governance systems with earth first. And so you know, and, and so when we're we belittled and eliminated, settlers have access to our lands. And so what's going on now is you know, whether it's it's New Ageism or coming up with explanations to reconcile what happened to indigenous peoples in the United States, in Canada, in the Western Hemisphere, there's things that have to happen um, that in order to make things really start moving in the context of action and verb. And, and I think that part of that is recognition of the violence committed. We can acknowledge native people they, they used to be here, but we're not talking about the recognition of the violence committed against indigenous peoples or uh, initiatives to mitigate, in, in a sense, to redress that violence, right? And then respect and especially accountability towards indigenous peoples and our knowledges that really haven't been lost, you see, because we are still here, as long as we are still here, um, we realize, being here, we realize that even even I cannot uh, reverse a culture or a civilization or capitalism overnight. But if we, we give it our energy, then that's the colonization. It's now, it's now reversing. It's now people are paying attention of all cultures. They're, the young people are especially paying attention to what's happening with Earth. But then there's the other half that are you know, think they're being elevated by artificial intelligence. And this is a result of capitalism.
and and in that capitalism you're rewarded for that i guess it to for for putting the, that knowledge system in a container so you can own it and yet destroying other knowledge systems in order to say that's the only way the human species is going to make it Could while I, actively while actively trying to destroy the other cultures that are still with earth i would like to share with you a few observations i have had about the english language and how i think that it separates us from our spirit there's some there's some terms that are very commonly used i can consider them slurs now People will say, oh, that was only a dream. It's just your imagination. Oh, it's just coincidence. I hear these three things, and I think, well, somebody's saying my dreams don't, don't matter. My intuition is just a mathematical, statistical event. And the imagination is, uh, you're a fool if you believe your imagination. These people walk around with these, these beliefs but with, about themselves. And I think that the dominator put those words in there so we would be separated. Because to me, I think that the spirit does speak to us through the dreams, through the imagination, and through our intuition. And they've turned that into a slur, like a negative thing. Anyway, if you have any any observations about that, I'd be glad to hear them. Um, yeah, I think that if if we if we remain in this uh, friend of mine, we talk about these things from that place that you're talking with dreams and visions and um and i say this because these are my my experiences that the lakota language is not a symbolic language nor a metaphorical language it's a it's a language that is presently here so you're you talk first person and when i'm speaking in english i have words like like i'm not here and my friend would say present phobic language we're always we don't want to be here um there's something better than this and so the bypassing language is that is part of that too we don't want to feel the pain so let's make up words and a language and here's some pills by the way or here's a big house or a new car it's always not ever being here well well the other part is um what we would say what i have understood as a contu to be is is that the earth being from the ancient future now and that's always been with us in our language so what we've done is actually taking well the english language tries to delineate our language and and take it apart and find definition basically codifying and standardizing what we really mean into to a definition of english so english people can say oh we got it now and we feel better because we're including native people yet the land the land is is part was where the language comes from so in other words um like <clears throat> chris is that i i cannot take lakota and speak it you know in in lenape land that language doesn't fit here it fits more so in south dakota in that area and just like english it doesn't seem to fit here it seems to fit over there in in england and wherever because that's where it comes from. It feels real over there. Here, there's more of a local energy. If you understood that, it's not. We have to go deeper. We have to go to the tree roots, um, the tree roots, um, rather than the grassroots thinking. The tree roots are deeper, and when we do that, you'll find indigenous peoples there. 
So it has to go deeper than what capitalism or democracy or all the isms that, that have come over here that really don't work because they're all based on humanism rather than being with Earth. And that's what I'm saying. So the language is changing, and I feel that. And there's more younger people, but in fact, we have to... Here's what I like to say, that we we have to get away from... Oh, how do I say this? We can't awaken someone who's pretending to be awake. They're saying all the trendy things, all the spiritually trendy things, and yet there's no motion. So it's a stagnation. And when it's stagnating, then you tend to be in this, what I call a parabox. And this parabox, spelled with a B, uh, is basically time concepts as a beginning and ending. And then the superior inferior is a top and bottom and then there's a cause and effect and that's what we are speaking in from we're speaking from that to try to escape and yet like i would say the rest of life is outside of that box outside of that <clears throat> that that room that was that we put the elephant in and from that point on we are I'm wondering who built the room, whose idea was to put the elephant in the room, and who built the room. And so that's what I mean. We're not really speaking a language of um, of relationship. And so we're always going to look for one to escape the pain that we have because we're taught that we're going to go to someplace better, and that keeps us away from this consciousness. So, yes, I I. I uh, I'm also a recovering Catholic, so I'm very used to the idea of, uh, you know, you can't, uh, the way I was raised, and millions of people before me, my family, we raised it, we, did, we do not have a direct connection with the Creator. There's an intermediary, the Pope, the priest, the bishop, those people stand between you and God. It does, it seems to me, many, it seems to me kind of a trait of indigenous philosophy that we are capable of having a direct relationship with our Creator. But this, well, let's, let's, yeah, go ahead. But this, uh, this dominated paradigm this, of capitalism and monotheism keeps us uh, keeps us away from the idea that we can have a direct relationship with the Creator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and <clears throat> excuse me, but for me to say creator or even the possessive um like in some languages there's no word for want these are indigenous people's languages there's seven thousand languages spoken in the world majority of those 70 percent would say are indigenous languages those languages of earth in relationship in relating to earth may all be gone by the end of the century and so what are the dominator languages and so when i think about Okay, we, we are speaking this language um, that is very possessive. And the older languages, if you studied them um, of Earth, especially the, the Western Hemisphere, there's no word for property, possession, and all these things. What we always try to say, but you, we're always trying to put it back into the box I, I talked about, the linear box. And when I think about, okay, how do we retrieve our language that we think we, we were told that we lost? Right. Um, so 
what happens to this is because we're taught possession. So if you go into older languages, there is no I or me or my or mine or ours. These are all possessive words. Now, I always start out with, so I is a noun or a pronoun. But if you think about indigenous peoples, how they refer to themselves, it was more or less a, a verb. And so there was no, I, uh, I think, therefore I am. It was always, it was always about, we are, therefore, we, we think, therefore we are. And so in that relationship of having, acknowledging relationship to all life, not just human beings, that's what we're saying is missing. Because if you're isolated and all alone, you're going to have to fill your house full of possessions, even knowledge and information and greed, all those things come in different forms and they become addictive. And that's what I'm saying when possession of language, it's, it's we have to understand we don't own anything, but yet we're told that we own something. You have a response. You have a right to things. Um, and even saying our creator, because many native peoples across the planet, across Earth, don't have a word for a creator or God. It's it's not that it's primitive. It's maybe we move past the possessiveness of owning, mm. as it was given to us in the first place. You see, so this is yeah. this is how I, th I think, Chris. Yeah, this you're giving us a lot to think about. You really are. Thank you. Um, I'll share with my own observations. Like post-stroke, when I was coming back into this world, the word "I" really bothered me. People use it a great deal, and I understand it has a convenience to it. Like I will call you tonight to have you on the radio show. Okay, that's fine. But people just use I, 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 I will do this, I will do that, I own this, I will go here, I will go there. It's I all the time. It seems that we are really unconscious of how that separates us from all the other entities and spirits and mood energies that are around us. I, 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 I. Every time we say that, we just don't even think about it. We're just so conditioned from a very young age, I, this, I, that. And now we just carry on the rest of our lives with I. <laughs> Yeah, and I think part of that is understanding uh, when a few years ago, you know, the rage was bringing Native people from South America up to the United States, and they were Kogi. So that was a trend to bring Kogi up here because they were untouched as far as 500 years ago um, from 1990 or so. And everybody who, was who is Kogi? I'm sorry, I don't know who that is. Well, the Kogi, Kogi, or Koji, are people who had hidden in the Sierra, uh, Sierra Nevadas in northern Colombia, and they went up when the colonizers and conquistadors came into Colombia. They decided to go up in the mountains and hide, and so in 1990, 1992, they they came out, and because the tops of their trees were dying, and they knew about the little brother. In other words, a colonizer, um, to tell them that what, whatever you're doing down there is killing our trees up here. And that came out, and there was a, a, a film made about it. Um, and so when that's when the, the rage for bringing Kogi were here. Uh, there, there was very spiritual. You know, we, we romanticized them. Um, but anytime they didn't, if they didn't say what, 
what well, the Westerner didn't want them. Excuse me, if if the Westerner, if, if they didn't say what the Westerner wanted them to say, then they were like, oh, we're going to find the one that that says what we want them to say. So they came down and they understood things a little differently. They're very quiet people. They divine everything. They're in a relationship, and the very simple in a way of the Western sophistication. And they came north. People brought them north. And when they came to the Catskill Mountains here in upstate New York, um, there was a gathering, and these uh, people who brought them, um, you know, they they asked. They were quiet for four days, and people didn't get what they wanted out of them, so they wanted their money back. Um, but <laughs> oh, the fourth day, on the fourth day, they began to talk when when the people who were really meaningful to what they were saying stayed and the crowd got less and less every day and but still discussion was happening they were just doing it in another way and they came and there were several native people from north america turtle island and they asked us how did you survive this and we replied by our language um <clears throat> so learning resistance but yet learning resilience um, that helped us to survive. And so this resilience is often romanticized, and you see it come out mascots, you know, the mighty warrior, even though we've convinced ourselves that we are warriors. We, we had no word for war. And, and so, you know, oftentimes many of these stories about indigenous communities focus on either our vulnerability or resilience or resistance. And there's much more to us as indigenous communities, as peoples, but uh, the Westerner tends to focus on these three of vulnerability, resilience, and resistance, or you could say poverty, and you know, we're the uneducated, and we're not healthy, um, because that helps them to see us as children, as innocent narrative, uh, as it spreads a naiveness. Even among settlers, they, oh, well, you know, we are good people, and yes, we did that to them back then. But let's acknowledge them now and say, well, we did that to you, but we still own the land. So when it comes to this, who's responsible for their lineage? Who's forcing this vulnerability or and resilience or resistance onto us? And who's working hard to ensure these narratives are no longer needed, as indigenous people saying. What I'm saying is that you have, as as settlers, as colonial people out there, to dismantle dismantle that colonialism, to not co-opting or stealing indigenous knowledge or ways of life or even movements. And so that part of that is, you know, you, you think about that, is that resilience means that they came after us to kill the Indian and save the man, but yet they couldn't kill the native because that's in them too. They're running from being that because they were taught, as you said, you're a recovering Catholic. So every one of us, I think, are living in this diaspora uh, and reminding and indigenous peoples, remind the people living in diaspora from Europe or wherever about their indigeneity. And as we are being continued to be impacted to this present day, 
So what I'm saying is uh, the radio, uh, I had a radio show 30 years ago and I first renamed another radio show that the co-host is still having that name up in Olympia, Washington. And I renamed it View from the Shore. The View from the Shore. Because when Columbus was coming, there were natives on that shore. And today, we are still the view from the shore, and the ships are still coming. So this means, are we really who we are, or did we take on the roles of being discovered in Hollywood, or did we educate the wisdom out of ourselves by, by getting our PhD and, you know, being a good native in the in the role model that they describe us to be, and and being the good Indian that doesn't want to bite the hand that feeds you, but truly civilization capitalism is really biting the hand that feeds them which is earth and so indigenous cultures are still under attack because of the settler colonialism and an impact that continues to have on earth against earth the war against earth and this is where the kogi come in so when they ask us how did you survive it we said but by speaking our language in corners to each other, whispering it, speaking it to the trees, because in fact it was the trees, it was the birds, it was the rocks, the water, the wind. You see how far this gets away in English? But it's reality to us. This is how we learn the intuition, because all life actually survives and, and feels and is real through intuition. That's how they communicate. So when we talk about facing these impacts, one of them is telling us Earth is speaking, and, and the Westerners call it climate change, right? But they're far removed from what to do except to throw money at it, to measure it, and who's going to get more pollution or not. And then they give us a timeline to be afraid of, right? So all these things seem to be very linear and expected. And if you are apart from that para box, away from that para, outside of the box, then you see what's being highlighted and people are being blinded by that that light there we go thank you chris yes i i was uh i'm gonna tack this back to language for a second with my own experience as a kid we learned there was subject there was predicate nouns and verbs they were dissecting language all the time and covering it up into little pieces rather than have this linear fluid expression they had us and he, as a kid, as a child, you are rewarded with the good grades. It pats on the back from parents. Oh, you're learning so good. And you, but you're you're dividing these words up into, I call it dissection of a living thing. That's how I think of it now. <laughs> yeah. And it's mm. the thing that's stunning is that we're so bathed in it that we don't even think about it. Yeah. Because we're born it, and we're you're born into this, and this is what they give you the moment you get here. Is this culture, and as a child, of course, you if you question any of that, you're a bad student or a bad son or bad daughter, whatever you know. You're supposed to go along with it, and so people really get tracked into this paradigm of dominance and subjugation, which of course then feeds the capitalism. Just kind of keeps going on and on. You mentioned, thank you for that. It, it, 
it helps me to think further. Um, okay. So if we go, if we do, you know, um, what did you say in late stage capitalism? Yeah, that's the reality of it. But what happens after post-capitalism? <clears throat> so when I describe the, yes. the view from the shore and the ships coming, if the ships coming or the capitalism or the communism or the socialism, any ism that is, and it, it's come here and that's when capitalism started for us as native people and forced us to, to think in poverty and riches and took us away from relationship and taught us uh, forced us to think in, in dogma the good and evil and say creator and whatever all these these nouns and you know subjugated us to to say these things and yet the traditional ecological knowledge systems are being displaced at the same time. So when capitalism started, we have that story as Native people. We have survived capitalism. So after post-capitalism, who is are we going to go back and speak the same language to rebuild? And what I'm thinking is that, okay, then maybe it's more about post-anthropocentric thinking. Because it's not going to be about us. Um, you know, where, where we've, we have gone beyond knowing and sensing and being relationship with Earth. And all we have is banks and cities and technology, artificial and textbook learning and, you know, living is, is not there. So we're just, um, we're not, um, we're, we're using reality, not living it. And so we practice other cultures, um, uh, spiritual forms, and since we we meditate, we do yoga, we do all these things that really we don't know that you know we Americanize things so that we can be comfortable and say we're spiritual. And when I think about that, that's it's it's, it's insidious how this happens because that's the deductive reasoning we've taken cultures apart. And took in the be taking the best part, and thinking that that's the way of the human, but I know all humans don't think alike, but the West wants to say everybody's alike, you know, and and I know that comes from anthropocentrism, and we can just go what what happens to post domination, you know, this, these are the things that that we need to open up and have dialogue as you have. And I'm finding that among younger people, not because they're innocent or they're fresh, um, the younger people that don't exclude their elders. Because the elders, you know, even the, the hippie generation, those have, <clears throat> they've gone to a place where they think um, the accumulation of knowledge, information will get them through where that knowledge and information won't really be needed. It's the wisdom. It's the wisdom of that experience. And if we don't, you know, understand the earth, and we and we keep telling ourselves to go back to the drawing board, what is the system offering you? What type of thinking is that? It's an end line. So it's a continuum. We all have to understand that, you know, um, a friend of mine in South Dakota a few years ago 
drove from the middle of South Dakota to the eastern end. It took, took him about three hours to do so. And he said he, he on I-90, he did not see one bird because that eastern part of South Dakota is is monocultured. It's um, GMO. Wow. Monsanto. Yeah. That time it was Milma. So that is an alarming thing. And yet Native people have been saying this. When I was young, this old grandma said, the sun is coming closer. But see, that's kind of a fairy's tale. But I understood it, that it's getting going to get hotter. Um, she was talking about in the future where you're going to go, you're going to be needed. So speak up. So that's what I've been doing is for the last 30 years on the radio and trying to uh, you know, find, uh, articulate what I'm feeling into a language that doesn't feel, but is very emotional and rationally, you know, digressing in its own. It, it's always about conflict and antagonism in the same sentence. It's fighting itself and to be dominant to whatever. Who's Who knows more? We, we we listen to reply rather than listening to understand. Um, so, you know, these perspectives are needed, this lived experience rather than the textbook. This is the way you have to do it. Um, and I know that John Gatto, who retired here in New York State in 2008, he, in his retirement speech, he said that it takes 12 years for the average American child, American citizen, it takes 12 years for the American Western educated to learn how to become reflexive to authority. And you see that the, 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 the mayor, the doctor, any, any of those who have, you know, gotten ahead through meritocracy of PhDs or whatnot. So you've educated the wisdom out of yourself, but they'll argue that they haven't, you see, and that place comes from um, academia, which was a place in, in Greece, Plato and Socrates, and in that, that area where you brought the knowledge, but it got to be where you had to afford to come there. So the common person couldn't come there, only those who held the knowledge. And then <clears throat> that academia became something you had to reach and attain, obtain, uh, and attain, actually. And yeah. Once that got there, now the Western way is to get your PhD, and it's going to cost you this much to get there. And if you don't speak it, then you're not going to be given the money. So you know it, you're not going to you're not going to um, stop climate change with a PhD. One of the things I've noticed. One of the things yeah, I've noticed with the people that have <clears throat> high academic degrees. Um, I really, I often value value their knowledge, but. There is a, they, they have themselves on such a supreme level. I have a doctorate in this, so I know this and I know that, and you don't. There's a hierarchy there. Like as a, as a person who's been very involved in, in working to protect the forest and different things, I've, I've observed things, I've observed animals do really extraordinary things from time to time. And I go tell them to the biologist, I say, oh, I saw this falcon do this. They just look at Stone Cold. They say they don't do that, you know. They just, if it, if it wasn't in their book, that didn't happen. <laughs> I get really frustrated with that, obviously. Hmm. 
there becomes a, it seems to me there's a very strong ego attachment to having that degree. You put yourself, yeah. many of these people put themselves on a hierarchy and they're on top and nobody else knows and they, they're threatened if somebody else gives them any information that's contrary to their degree. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. sorry, just is, something is that, that I, know, I know I'm inventing a little bit here, but this is something that really bugs me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you're bugged by it because to me it's like indigenous peoples, not all, because I'm, you know, in the sense, in the sense that I don't want to uh, romanticize indigenous peoples about having the key to survival or anything like that. But there is knowledge there. There is experience with this land, and in being in the academic world, um, that academia is actually invalidating the indigenous knowledge that we carry. Um, in that identity is being taken away from us, um, you know, and and people don't know that. And this is all across the board, whether you have, whether you have a degree or not, um, our knowledge being invalidated um, as peoples. You can have a scholar who are native people who don't have a Western degree, but they know so much about living with the earth that you know you can't invalidate it because that's like invalidating. The earth um so it's keeping an open mind i suppose and and because i know i'm not going to change anybody's mind but if, if anything of understanding is that i, I touch people's heart because I, I think that's what changes people when their heart changes um and as far as i can understand this is a journey for everyone to take part in and not be so exclusive or you know um we have to get away from the, the dividing, and I understand it, but how can you do that in a language that doesn't know its own cultural etymology, let alone its own etymology of, of, a, of a language called English or any of the Romance languages? I would, like, nouns. I would like to share something with you. Uh, it, was a, it was a quote, and it go, ties into the oral tradition, which is, very, of course, very prevalent amongst many indigenous cultures. They have stories that go back, back for countless millennia, and we have these academic people say, oh, well, they, they don't know this because the science has proved that. So they discount the oral tradition. And I saw this wonderful quote from a lady, an elder, she's Polynesian. She says, writing things down is, too, is only for people that are too lazy to remember. Mm -hmm. I'd like to have your thoughts about that. No, that that's true. There's there's more energy exchange when you remember from, but it's not just the head. The head, the the area of the brain is just a sensory pool, um, and so if you understand where we can, as far as I know from the elders that I I knew, they said that you can never go to the heart when you come from it, and so the the Lakota language, as far as I know. The old speakers came from the heart. What we're being taught in a dictionary now is is we're, we're kowtowing to the nouns of English. So when I'm thinking about the oral tradition, that's how we all learn. You see it in children, um, but that's that's been deprogrammed. We've been telling them that, no, that's not knowledge. You have to learn this and that. But there's movement. Um, there is a friend who, you know, 
in, in India, if I could say this shortly, he has he went to Harvard and he had PhDs, two or three of them. He went to Dartmouth and all this, and he went back to India. And he he had a daughter with his wife, and of course, and the daughter is now something like 15 years old. had had one day of school, the Western education, and that daughter on her own because she was so interested in life that light taught her what was what was to come next very non-linearly but that knowledge and in magic so to speak was offering itself to her and she knows she can sit down and you know do all the things from the western way but she's learned through oral traditions um and she's you can if you compare her to einstein that's not even close, right? Because that's a different type. It's not about comparing who's smarter or intellectual. It's about who's using, as Uncle would say, their intelligence. Well, I, I'm surprised. We've gone almost an hour already, and we're going to have to wrap it up in about five minutes. So um, right. I would really like to hear your closing thoughts, please, with our listeners here in Mendocino County. <clears throat> Closing thoughts. Ah, how about let's 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 keep them open. Let's stop closing things. <laughs> that's just, a great answer. Open. Yeah, that's the best um, answer a guest has ever said to me when I asked him that question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Oh yeah. Well, but no, thank you for allowing me to to uh, express myself um, in a language that really seems to. You go to the anger part of it, and you you kind of like you're trying to not center on you know the, the 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 what is what is one of our ancestors in Black Elk? He said that the center of the universe is everywhere, but we don't think that way anymore, and it's unfortunate that we don't. And I think many of us are wanting that. We recognize that in to this time the Earth speaking, and it's been those indigenous peoples who have live closer to her in the remote part of remote parts of the world not just native americans you know the, the conjecture that comes out of being an american is to always prove that they want to be here that they belong here which is true they were invited but they weren't invited to own the land and i think that's what it has to really be looked at there's no such thing as ownership or proper ties and and things you know so so what's coming here is basically it's just this it's a fish out of water and so colonialism has to go and that's even if with us as native people who've, who've who do it to ourselves now colonial collateral damage to each other and how we speak and how we treat each other and especially how we disrespect the earth um yeah i, th I think it's it's we have to re it's going to happen that's all I know. I'm very optimistic because if it's coming from Earth, then that's all she's been. So, but thank you for allowing me to express myself, Chris. My goodness, I I'm so enjoyed this time with you, and I hope our listeners have too. I'm sure they have. But um, again, I just thank you so much, really from the bottom of my heart, and for being with us here tonight, bringing your voice to North California. Thanks again. Good night. Okay, thank you.
This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.